Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. In our podcast series, we are going to discuss a range of topics affecting police officers and anyone involved in the criminal justice system. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com. The Home Office described the new police conduct and complaints regulations as legislation that will shake up how complaints made against the police are handled and improve the discipline system for officers. The changes, which came into effect on the 1st of February, intend to ensure that complaints can be dealt with quickly, effectively and proportionately, not just for the benefit of the public, but also for the police. On the announcement of the new legislation, National Police Chiefs Council lead for complaints and misconduct, Chief Constable Craig Guilford, stated that the reforms are aimed at all levels across the police service and have come together after work with the Home Office, Police Federation, the IOPC and the Superintendents Association. The aim is for greater involvement for local supervisors and a move away from punishment and blame for lower level misconduct to a focus on learning and development. I am Deborah Britstone from 3D Solicitors and with me to discuss this is Elliot Gold from Sergeant Sin Chambers. Elliot, as I just said in my introduction, the new legislation hopes to move away from blame to a focus on learning and development. How does it seek to achieve this? The Taylor Report in 2005 spoke of the need to move away from a blame culture, and the result was the 2008 Police Conduct Regulations. Over a decade later, the new 2020 Conduct Regulations make change to the misconduct system that are again intended to achieve that aim. In particular, First, by raising the threshold for what amounts to misconduct, and second, by introducing an entirely new and self-contained regime for dealing with lower levels of breaches of the professional standards in a way that focuses on learning and development, uh, that is the reflective practice process, which I know is discussed in another podcast. So with that focus on learning and reflection rather than blame, is there a new threshold for when disciplinary proceedings should be brought? This is one of the most important changes in the new regime, and it's hidden away in the definition section of the enactment. Misconduct used to mean simply a breach of the standards of professional behaviour. Now, in common with other professional regulatory regimes, it means a breach of the professional standards so serious that disciplinary action would be justified. The entry level of disciplinary action is now written warning, the lower level of management advice having been dropped, So misconduct is, now, a breach of the standards so serious as to warrant at least a written warning. Anything less should be addressed through the reflective practice process. The new statutory guidance sets out good practice in investigations. What will be expected of PSD in their investigations? There has been considerable criticism by those representing police officers that investigations take too long and place the officer at a liability for extended periods of time. It's now stated that investigations must be carried out efficiently and effectively, and the time taken must be reasonable and proportionate. Investigators must also note the effect on the officer concerned. Most investigations should be concluded within 6 to 12 months, although there is recognition that longer may be taken if there are criminal proceedings or other related litigation. Particular care must now be taken to ensure the progression of investigations that have taken over 12 months or where the officer has been suspended. Where an investigation takes longer than 12 months, there are obligations to explain the reasons for this and how the investigation will be concluded within a reasonable period of time. 
Other important matters to consider, but which are not mentioned in the regulations themselves, are that investigators may have to consider and take into account the issue of disability under the Equality Act 2010, and for investigators to remember that the GDPR applies to their investigations and to comply with its provisions. So when an officer is served with a notice of investigation, we know that it should be written in clear and unambiguous language. The new legislation introduces further transparency in that officers should also be provided with the terms of reference for the investigation, shouldn't they? Imprecise notices of investigation and hearings have long been an issue in abusive process arguments and appeals on judicial reviews. There have certainly been complaints that what were Regulation 15 notices contained inadequate information to enable an officer to know what were the specific allegations being raised against them. In other professional regulatory spheres, there have been a number of decisions on the requirements for misconduct allegations and that they be clear and precise. Now, in the police conduct regulations, there is a new requirement for the investigator to provide the investigation terms of reference, which should instill a greater discipline in terms of the framing of allegations and the investigations themselves. It's worth noting that the IOPC already follow this practice. And of course, it goes without saying that where initial notices lack clarity, there's no good reason for updated notices not to be provided. The legislation also introduces new powers for the IOPC. Can you explain what these are? There are a number of new powers for the IOPC designed to improve public confidence in the misconduct system through increased independence. They are a power of initiative, which is to assess complaints themselves, a power to require that the matter be reinvestigated, and a power to present cases before misconduct panels. The effect of this is further to remove the chief constable from the process. We could soon see the IUPC assess a complaint, investigate it independently, and present it before a misconduct panel, notwithstanding any contrary view of the chief constable. The only role that the chief constable would play would be to appoint the misconduct panel and to host the misconduct hearing. A common complaint from officers is is how long investigations take. How has this been addressed in the new legislation? I touched upon this earlier in relation to one of your other questions. Police representative associations, such as the Police Federation, have long campaigned for misconduct processes to be concluded more speedily. The new regime provides that investigations be concluded within 12 months and for misconduct proceedings or hearings to be concluded within 100 days of notice of the hearing. In both cases, however, those time limits can be extended by the appropriate authority or the legally qualified chair. Police and crime commissioners will also have greater involvement in complaints management under the new legislation. How do you think this will work? Well, local policing bodies or police and crime commissioners have the option of assuming the responsibility for making initial contact with the complainants, handling local resolution matters which fall outside of Schedule 3 to the Police Reform Act, and recording complaints. Furthermore, they can choose to assume responsibility for keeping complainants and interested persons informed of the handling and outcome of their complaint. The PCC doesn't become the appropriate authority in those matters, but they do perform some of the functions of the Chief Constable as the appropriate authority would otherwise perform, and no doubt we'll see documents coming forth from PCCs to state how they intend to perform such functions. Management action and management advice are now no longer options as outcomes for investigations or proceedings. What other changes have been made to available sanctions if an officer does face disciplinary proceedings? There have been a number of changes to the outcomes available in disciplinary proceedings. 
reduction in rank has returned in specific circumstances. It was felt previously that the distance between a final written warning and dismissal was too great with nothing in between. Dismissal with notice has gone. That only used to apply to dismissal for misconduct during the life of a final written warning, but as I've said, no longer exists. And management advice has gone, as has management action, which again emphasises the fact that cases at the lower end of the spectrum should not be dealt with as formal matters of conduct, but as part of the new reflective practice process. Thank you very much, Elliot. Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com.